Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. On December 4th, 19 amazing local artists will join together for a special performance in downtown Austin. The artists and most of the fans who are in attendance are going to be brought together by a single organization, Black Fret. And we are pleased to welcome Black Fret's executive director, Matt Ott, to talk about the organization and to talk about the combination of music and advocacy. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Matt, thank you for joining us and welcome. What is Black Fret? Black Fret is an organization my uh, good friend Colin and I started about nine years ago now. We're in our eighth season and we are an organization that believes that local music is art that deserves the support of the community, just as other traditional art forms, the opera, symphony, theater, ballet have been supported for generations. Particularly here in Austin, our live music is the lifeblood of our city. It's the foundation of our culture. Black Fret gives people a way to support this music and become a part of this scene and become a part of the community. And you're an Austin native for, for the most part, right? For the most part. I got here as quick as I could. I've been here over 40 years. So what was it like coming of age in Austin? Austin has changed tremendously. Austin in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was a preteen teenager, was a different world. It was a sleepy town. On a Saturday, you could walk down the middle of Congress Avenue and not worry about being hit by a car. You didn't have to look (laughs) both ways. And the beautiful thing about Austin is that all of the things that make our city great are still here. I used to, I grew up in Terrytown and Clarksville, a couple of pretty central neighborhoods around here. And we used to walk down to the Paramount Theater for their summer movie series, which is still going on. I was a junior Longhorn bowler at the University of Texas and would, uh, would ride the shuttle buses down there, which were just these orange and white painted school buses. They weren't fancy ones with air conditioning and stuff now. When we were kids and, and the, the city was our oyster. The city's changed a lot, but I love what it's becoming. And on top of it, the music, I would contend, is better than ever. What, was music an important part of that experience back then? Music was a huge part of my experience back then. My, I'm fortunate enough to have parents who, who were pretty cool. They would drag me out to see music. My dad took me down to the Armadillo World Headquarters a few times when he couldn't find a babysitter. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, it was great. I had no idea of the significance of where I was. I just thought, you know, wow, this is cool. And there are a bunch of hippies around. And this is great. And was even one, I was riding that shuttle bus back from UT and was, as a 12, 13-year-old, was just absolutely incensed that someone was graffitiing on the back of the seat in front of me and with a Sharpie. And when I got up, or when they got up and got off the bus, I looked at what they had written and they had written butthole surfers on the back of the seat in front of it. And as this wild haired late teen, early 20 year old was jumping off the bus, he turned around and he points both his fingers at me with his wild smile. And later I realized that was Gibby Haynes. That was Gibby Haynes. Yeah, oh that, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if he would own up to uh, graffiti in the back of a bus. It's rusted somewhere now. And it was a great moment. And that was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Wow, that is cool. Great story. Now, you moved to the Bay Area, so walk us through that California detour. What what motivated you? I was an English major at UT, 
was not really excited about being an English major, wasn't sure which way I was going to go in life. The currents of life led me to, of all places, Apple, which was just a wonderful corporate environment for creative. The company was like herding cats. I had a real education. I thought that corporate America was the land of maturity and reasoned decision-making and so on and quickly realized that, nope, it was just pretty much like high school, but with beer bashes on Friday. Right. And and I eventually <laughs> yeah, got- Beer bashes and occasional direct deposits. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And had an incredible time there and was eventually recruited by one of my old managers at Apple out to a company called Quantum, which was an old hard drive manufacturer. And were you doing kind of app development and deployment? Is that right? I was. I was writing software for internal use. I worked in their sales operations department and wrote some software I think people still curse me for, but learned a ton, did a great time. It eventually sent me on the software I wrote, the the tools I wrote, sent me on around the world tours, deploying these things. And it was just an incredible, a really wonderful life at an amazing time in the history of technology where the web was new and things were blowing up. and So you're going to places like Singapore, Japan, all that? You, you nailed it. Yeah. I once circumnavigated the globe with nine days in Tokyo, nine in Singapore, Geneva, Boston, Dallas, back to San Francisco. It was an incredible trip. And it was an amazing time in technology. It was when things really started moving quicker than everyone could imagine. The way we would deploy an app in a year before was completely changed when all of a sudden you could just deploy them on the web and not have to literally install software on someone's machine. And being a part of that in Silicon Valley at that time was unreal. And My, then looking at your bio, it seems like you made the transition from that operations platform development to more of a creative role. Did that really happen or was that just how the industry changed over that time? That was intentional. Okay. Like I mentioned, I was an English major, really enjoyed creating. Before Apple hired me, I actually was going to move to New York City and study sculpture for a little while. And Apple short-circuited that, thankfully. But after writing software for a few years, working on really huge ERP implementations for with uh, Oracle's products and so on, I realized it was, for me, not a, a very soul-sucking exercise and I needed to pivot. I needed to something to get closer back to my creative roots. And I, I talked a small telecom startup into making me what they call a webmaster, which is something that the, the, the work still exists, but I don't think anyone calls themselves a webmaster anymore. But from there, that I knew that role was in a marketing department. And from there, I actually worked my way into becoming the director of marketing communications for that company. And subsequently created my own marketing communications consulting boutique and all the while I've got this great friend named Colin, who's bugging me about all these ideas to start nonprofits around music. And it was when I was living in Silicon Valley that he called up one day and said, Hey man, I got this idea. Can I come out and spend my spring break with you? It was, it, I think it was, was that the Austin music foundation. That was the Austin music foundation. Yeah. And he came out and threw the ideas past me and we tore them down and built them back up and we made it happen. We made it real. And that organization's mission was to provide business education to musicians to help create a sustainable middle class of artists. And financial when, literacy for artists. Yeah. Financial literacy, business literacy, knowledge is power. And education is a huge passion of mine. And the fact that we created an organization that's still going strong, that's still serving that mission and serving thousands of musicians uh, a year is something I'm, I'm very happy about. Well, sure. And when you start an organization like that, you never know what really starts because of it. Truth. The, the rolling stone that gathers moss, I guess you just really don't know where it's going until it gets started. That's so true. And 
I think that's a true statement, both internal to an organization and external. And you know, the change I was talking about earlier about how from 93 to 96, when, you know, the rules of software changed, everything changed, the web was changing everything. Everybody's aware of that. That same thing happened in music with Napster in early 2000. There we were launching the Austin Music Foundation, which we wanted to be a very solid and very trustworthy named organization. And because we felt that the music industry was still a, a wild world, which it, which it still is. But we built that organization based on business models that no longer exist. Physical CD sales no longer exist. Vinyl's coming back up, but that's still you know a niche compared to what physical sales were back in the day. Just by example, and I haven't done the math in a while, the first CD I ever bought was Talking Heads Stop Making Sense. I'd actually gotten to see that concert live in Austin in 82, 83, whenever they were here and bought the CD probably a couple of years later when I got my first CD player. I checked out what that CD that I bought at Hastings Records on Burnett Road in 1985 would cost today. I paid $16.99 plus tax for it. It was over. It's over $50 in today's money. So just think about buying one CD for 50 bucks when you can get every song in the world for $14.99 with Apple Music for your entire freaking family. And I did that all the time. I think about the money I spent on music back then, the money all my friends spent on music back then that we paid for tickets, that we paid for CDs, that we paid for cover charges, for merch. It was a lot of money. And we had- Well, and you you developed a loyalty to the to the band that was playing on the album because you wanted to get your money's worth. And you listened to every song. Yeah. Even the bad ones, even the album cover stuff that you knew they just threw in to fill out the album. You were like, no, I, I know this one. And that makes me a big fan. You listen to them so much that the bad songs would become your favorite ones. Yes. (laughs) That would be like a badge of honor. I'm a real fan. That's right. So when did you get the idea for black, black fret? The idea for black fret, the seed of black fret was planted very early on in the history of the Austin music foundation. As the music industry began to rapidly change, as physical sales fell through the floor, as uh, touring changed, as as everything changed, and the dynamics of the music industry began to reflect what was happening in greater society, where, where a lot more wealth was going to fewer people. That consolidation was almost inevitable, given the fact that music is inherently a risk-based organization. And if you're going to invest in a band, you want to make sure that you're going to invest in a band that's going to get you a return. No one wants to put good money after bad in any endeavor. And in a, in a one and it's hard to promote that financial literacy and business opportunity when the actual opportunity doesn't present itself in the first place. Right, right. right. Absolutely. And so Colin and I were talking about ways to get money to musicians just as a background conversation for a long time. We'd even had a program in the Austin Music Foundation that we modeled over after tech incubators, where we would take artists on a very prescriptive path of writing songs, coming up with concepts, recording, mixing, mastering, promoting, et cetera, et cetera, to in effect teach up the entire life cycle of a recording cycle. Project Um, management of a band. Yeah, absolutely. And aspirationally, we wanted to do that for hundreds of bands. We managed to do it for six over two cycles, but proceeded to really upset our constituency of those who we served, the bands themselves, because bands were allowed to apply for the, the grant. We had 400 bands apply the first cycle, 600 bands apply the second cycle for three slots each. So we were not, we were making the grand majority of our musicians that we served 
pretty upset with us because they weren't yep. getting selected. Nothing like saying no to 99.9% of your applicants. It was not the right strategy. So we killed the program focused on the education, but it was still something that Colin and I really wanted to focus on. And countless lunches at the Crown and Anchor and at Trudy's and all our old haunts. And we finally got close to cracking it and went through a lot of ideas about how to make this happen. And what was most important to us was that we create a sustainable funding model. We never wanted to chase high net worth individuals. We wanted to create something sustainable that would always be there for the artists. And is that where the membership model kind of came into play? That is exactly where the membership model came into play. And it was inspired. We were inspired by another membership-based organization in Austin called Impact Austin. Incredible organization, an all-female organization. Their members pay $12.50 a year. They get together, they have meetings and presentations, and they decide who to give undirected grants to, which is mana from heaven for nonprofits. We looked at that model and, and said, what if we take that model and add a really, really deep experiential layer to it. What if we broke the walls down between the musicians and those who pay their dues, the members? What if we created experiences where we could take over venues for the night, where we could throw house parties, where the events start at 7 p.m., the music starts at 8, and you're done by 10 because those are normal human hours. And when you've got kids and full-time jobs and stuff, it's hard to go out and see a band that starts playing at 11 or 12 at night. That was the seed of Black Fret. And, uh, and so Forbes called Black Fred, I'm going to read off this, a symphony style model that promotes local artists. So did they kind of nail that? Talk us through that advocacy model. What from the members ultimately to the artist, how does all that flow? Thank you for that question. That's really the crux of the experiential model that I'm talking about. When you become a member of Black Fred, you're not just invited to the events, you're fully empowered to have your voice heard. You get to nominate the bands that you love. You get to come to the events, meet with the musicians, meet your fellow members, and then even at the end of the year, vote for the allocation of grant dollars. Our members guide the direction of the organization. And they do so with in chorus with a couple of other really wonderful constituencies. After our first year, we made artists who'd received grants from us eligible to nominate the bands that they love. So not only we're getting the members' voice, but we're getting the voice of the artists themselves. We also have a group of really wonderful music industry professionals who comprise an advocacy or an advisory board for us. They get to nominate the bands they love. We even incorporate a couple of voices from the public, from the Austin Music Awards Best New Band and from the KUTX Bands of the Month. So between those five constituencies, I'm proud to say that each year we've had an amazingly diverse set of musicians in terms of genre, in terms of gender, in terms of race. Um, and we really took advantage of a lot of things in COVID to double down on all of that. And I think in 2021, we've got one of our strongest classes ever. Yeah. What strikes me about the Black Fret model is how the experience for the donor is so up close and personal. It's not just the charitable or philanthropic benefits, not just the support of the local artists. I mean, you're also getting an experience out of it, a community and a voice as you go along. It's That's really powerful. Was that always the plan from 2013 on, or has it just evolved as the membership has it, pulled you in different directions, maybe? It was always the plan, but I will say that it has evolved in some beautiful and some unexpected ways. We were talking earlier about the Rolling Stone. Our Rolling Stone with Black 
fret has taken, we're still rolling in generally the right direction, but it's been a beautifully meandering path. And we've made some significant course corrections over the years based on feedback from the members, feedback from the artist. And I'm proud that we've continued to be a responsive organization that listens to the people who care enough to step up and support the music that they love. How did you come up with the name Black Fret? <laughs> yeah. Such a cool name. I was just, there's got to be a good story behind I, it. I appreciate that. There's uh, there's the reality part and there's a the cool part to it. The reality part is it is really, really difficult to name anything these days. It is unbelievably difficult to find a URL that's not being squatted on or already taken or what have you. Um, so you ran into the uniqueness problem? We ran into the uniqueness problem and we ran into the cliche problem. A lot of the names we came up with were just too simple. And when we started Austin Music Foundation, we intentionally named it something rather state, rather solid. Music Foundation, Austin Music yeah. Foundation. Feels and really institutional. Very institutional, too institutional. The name serves them perfectly, but for this organization, we wanted something cooler. We wanted something that almost a secret club. And we wanted something that wasn't tied to a specific geography because eventually we want Black Fret chapters all over the world. So one day a conversation started around musical terms and Colin said, well, hey, frets are cool. They're on the neck of a guitar. You always know where they're where they are. You can count on them. And I said, yeah, but we can't call an organization fret. It's got dual yeah. meanings to worry. And the, the noun, the, the piece of metal on a fretboard of a neck of a guitar. So we need a modifier. And I said, there's no more rock and roll adjective than black from spinal tap to back in black to Metallica's black album to the official color of any band's t-shirts. They yeah, wear. the Beatles might argue with you, but I see your right. point. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, well, they named the white album ironically. <laughs> so we all know the real, the real title, but the, Black Fret came about. We found the URL was not taken. The trademark was clean. And then subsequently found out that there was an obscure thread on the internet of Norwegian death metal guitarists who were looking for a metal that could remain black as a fret so they could have a fully jet black guitar. And while there are metals that are naturally black, none of them, when you're rubbing strings against them, aren't going to get shiny after once in a while, look silvery when lights from a stage are on them. So in effect, we realized we were, while obscure, mind you, we were creating something that didn't heretofore exist, a black frat, wow. a unicorn of the music world. We we're like, let's run with it. So we ran with it. And so far it's working out. So it was a cool name that got cooler with perspective. Huh? It was, yeah, it, it feels like a happy accident for sure. <laughs> most, yeah. most, most good things are actually. So let's talk about the artist. What's the landscape like for the average artist here in here in Austin and maybe just around the country? Well, I can speak to that here and in a couple of markets. We've got a chapter in Seattle now. We've just launched our chapter in Colorado. So if any listeners are in Seattle or Colorado. And that's um, Fort Collins in the Colorado area? or This speaks to the difficulties musicians are having everywhere. In Austin, the extraterritorial jurisdiction, if you will, of Black Fret artists, where they can live is within 50 miles of the state capitol. That's simply because so many artists have had to move to Lockhart and Pflugerville and Buda and Kyle and places outside. And yeah, just a couple proper. from Bastrop. But yeah. 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 No, Bastrop and Smithville have huge artist populations. Right. I mean, those scenes are going to be hopping before too long. Austin's gotten really expensive. In Seattle, it's 75 miles from Pike Place Market because that's an even more expensive market. In Colorado, we made the entire state, musicians from the entire state eligible, but we're going to focus our events in the Denver area to begin with, and then branch out to Fort Collins and Boulder as we grow. But because the lack of affordability in those communities creates a, a problem, even with how you measure who's 
eligible for the program? Absolutely. Absolutely. Affordability has become a, a big issue. And I'm constantly impressed with the hustle of our musicians. The day jobs they have, if they have day jobs, are everything from barista to programmer. One of our original bands, the keyboard player from that band is my personal trainer. This entrepreneurial and really inspirational spirit that these musicians exhibit is something that I want to be a really vibrant part of my community. I want these musicians to be able to live here, just like I want our firefighters, our you know nurses, our EMTs, our policemen, you know our civic workers to be able to live in the communities that they serve. And uh, that was a huge problem in, in Silicon Valley, even when I lived there 15 years ago. People were, the firefighters we'd hang out with down the street with my son while I was checking out the fire engines lived an hour and a half an away. An hour and a half away. On the yeah. creek and it's rough. So our musicians, a lot of people, I don't know how, how I'm not going to speak for people's perception of what musicians are like, because some people do understand how hard they work. Other people think that being a musician is just being a rock star, nothing glamour wow, you get adoration from the crowd and you just get to play guitar and hang out and write songs and do cool stuff. It's a grind. And these musicians have worked for Well, and we, decades. as the public, we only see the overnight successes. The grind happens in silence. Doesn't yeah, it? and that's the thing. It's like the old saying goes, you two can, you know, dedicate your blood, sweat, and tears for a decade and be the next overnight success. We don't see what happens before that happens. And then we think that everything is a-okay and hunky-dory. There are really successful bands, bands you would think don't need financial help, don't need a, a leg up from the community because they've had a big hit or something. And it's just not the case. This is art. It deserves the support of the community. And these artists are thankful, very thankful for the grants that we provide for them. But one really meaningful story to me came from a dear friend of mine who's a landscape architect in town great guy, hires musicians for his crew. They were leaving a site one day, Black Frets, maybe two, maybe we've given away two years of grants at this point. And his crew of musicians is talking in the back seat. And one of them says, Hey, have you heard this about this Black Fret thing? And they're all piled in the truck. And my friend Steve said, man, I almost perked up right there. And I was like, Oh man, that's my friend. He goes, but they just kept talking and, and I let him go. And, and one of them said, I know my kind, my style of music is never going to be nominated, but just the fact that there's an organization in town that values the music that we're making, that values the scene that's trying to help, makes me want to work harder at my music, makes me want to be a better musician, makes me want to succeed even more, even though I know that I will never get a dollar from Black Frat. Now, Thankfully, that dude was, after expressing that, that beautiful sentiment, was completely wrong. That was Bobby from the band Whiskey Shivers. Um, <laughs> and they went on to get a major grant from us, I think, two, two or three seasons later. They got seventeen dollars or $18,000. I forget the exact amount. But And members of those bands continue to create other projects. They continue on as a band themselves. And they've been in... in uh, Pitch Perfect Four. They've they found they've selling out you know shows in Europe pre COVID. So they've they found great success. So to be part of that story and to understand that musicians feel so alone in this struggle, even in quote the live music capital of the world, to me is a real testament that we're not as a society valuing the things that we need to that are really important to us, and we often take for granted the things that we love. And if we continue to, they're not going to be around. And I know, of course, the pandemic has been really challenging for musicians and 
venue owners. What are some of the noticeable pivots that you've seen both venues and musicians make? It seems like they're they're, they're some of the most flexible people. They start off with plan A and go to B and C and D just right off the bat. Have you seen that happening? And are there some things that you see happening today that you think will exist only as long as COVID exists? Or do you think there's some fundamental changes that have occurred on the scene. Long list of questions there, but what do you think? Musicians have had to be flexible for years now. If you can describe the any industry, any business with an algorithm where you have variables that define the ways you can make money, equaling the profit or loss that you're going to have on the back end, the music industry's equation has continually had variables yanked from it. The physical CD sales that I mentioned earlier, touring used to have some economic props behind it that don't always exist now. So the ways musicians can make money have been shrinking for years. That equation has been getting shorter and shorter. Um, There are variables being inserted back into this equation though, like streaming. That's beginning to pay out a little bit better than it used to. And we see musicians getting really innovative, not only through things like vinyl sales, but through personalized merch and through smart merch buying, rather than saying, I'm going to buy six boxes of t-shirts. I know a couple of artists who, who take the orders from the band, do a limited edition sale, and then order only what they need. So they're not sitting on hundreds of dollars of inventory that's going to sit in their garage for forever because of something like COVID, either precluding them from touring or that just not being a cool t-shirt anymore or whatever. And COVID specifically, of course, streaming blew up, live streaming blew up. Artists have done some really amazing things that have bolstered their fan base. There was one band who was doing a song and a video a month. Another band who dedicated themselves to streaming six days a week for six months, and they were doing dance parties and stuff. And and now that they're activating and going back out on tour, they collect all they collected all those people's information, and now they can ping them and say, "Hey, I'm coming to Topeka. Come see me live." So it's been really, really. So all that work that they put in built the audience, similar to a podcast or anything else. I mean, you've right. got to be consistent about it. Absolutely, and even in our case, uh, Black Fret started a virtual gig program where we received a fifty thousand dollar grant from the Stand with Austin Fund, and told them that we were going to give out a hundred percent of the money and do our best to actually give out more than that. And we came up with a model around that where when a company would contract with us for a virtual gig, a happy hour party over Zoom, we would pay $500 out of that grant fund we received. The company would pay 500 and then we would ask everyone on the call to tip the bands. The format we came up with was a song swap. We'd have three different bands. They'd rotate through their songs. We'd have a volunteer MC. And we wound up paying out over $300,000 to over 170 bands over the course of COVID and continuing now. You can still go to blackfret.org slash happy hour concert. Yeah, they got watched one with Dark Bird, I there think. You go. Was, yeah, uh, Dark Bird is magnificent. They'll receive a grant from us this year at our Black Fret Ball. But the downstream effect of that was really, it really fed our members became exposed to more musicians than they'd seen ever. It helped inform this incredibly diverse class that we have this year and even affected something that we're going to do. A a Black Fret season is really in in three chunks. There's a consideration season at the beginning of the year where we put a bunch of bands in front of our members and prospective members to expose them to as much art as they can. Then they nominate 
before we would nominate in late February. Now we're pushing that out to April so that we can expose people to some great music, say during South by, I just met with them yesterday and we've got a cool plan to set up a guided tour of Austin music through South by for locals. Oh, can, wow. Yeah. Where they can see just the local stuff. Cause that's what they care about. And that's, you know, what they want to do. That's going to be a really fun thing. We're really excited to work with South by on that. And then our members nominate. And then we go into our listening season where we throw our house parties and our so forth. And that's where the walls really break down between that year's artists and the members and everyone gets to hang out and get to know each other and so on. And then we have the award season at the end of the year, which is basically when our members vote for who gets a major or minor grant. And then we give it all away at the Black Fret Ball, which we originally held at the Paramount. We outgrew right. it. And now we held AC Alive at the Moody Theater. And so let's talk about the Black Fret Ball. It's coming up on December 4th. It right? is. And paint us a picture of the event. What does it look like? This is, there's one thing that's consistently happened throughout my time with Black Fret is that we've asked for really crazy stuff and people have said yes to it. So when we told the Paramount that we wanted to put 15 bands on stage in four hours and have them play a couple songs each, they said, we'll support you on that, but it's your funeral. There's no way this isn't going to blow up in your face. It didn't. It came off perfectly. And that's the format that we've continued with largely since then at the Black Fret Ball at ACL Live at the Moody Theater on December 4th, 2021, you're going to see more bands than have ever played on a stage before in three and a half hours. We're probably going to have, we may very well have 19 of our 20 nominees from this year perform. And we are very close to being able to give out a quarter million dollars as we did in the before times. I'm still doing some fundraising around that, but every band's going to receive a grant from us and it is going to be an incredible night. It's like a live mixtape. Each band is going to play one or two songs. We've got a couple of surprises in store. It's just uh, a good time with a great after party, no less. I mean, what struck me was a variety of musical styles because I went in and listened to a few of the bands just to prepare for what we were going to And American Dreamer has this just unbelievable musical quality to it. And then uh, Dark Bird that we talked about just... Yep. And then DZ Brown is this guy from Bastrop who's... Yep. And then I got a personal favorite. I, the Primo the Alien just oh really does it for me. If I take nothing else away from this podcast, it's going to be a brand new artist that I had no idea existed. And I, it's just fa fantastic. I thank you so much for that appreciation. And we talked a little bit about the surprises that have happened along the way earlier. What I've loved is seeing our members come back to me saying this band's music has changed my life. I absolutely love this band. And we've had some members put their money where their mouth is. Uh, one of our 2020 Black Fret artists, Moving Panoramas, played a show for us back in 2018, one of our consideration shows. They were not nominated that year, but one of our members, uh, a VP at a major tech company in town, liked them so much, he hired them to play a gig for his company. They had a pretty good sized budget. Moving Panoramas made a great payday from that. And they recorded their album from the payment they got from that one event. So that album blows up at the very least on a local level. Fast forward a couple of years and they get nominated as a Black Fret artist. COVID hits. I'm speaking with the lead singer, Leslie, and she's like, I never expected to get nominated. We feel like we got our nomination a, a couple of years ago. And I asked what she meant. She told me about how they got hired. They got that big payday. You know, they weren't a Black Fret artist, yet because of the connections, because of building this community, because of bringing these people together who are passionately creating music and passionately supporting music, something really magical happened. And without Black Fret, that advocacy or sponsorship opportunity probably doesn't exist. Never right? would have happened. Never would have happened. And that's the power 
of a model like this, of a model that brings people who are passionate about a cause together in a really experiential way with the people who are creating what you love. And whether it is film or dance or music or visual arts, I think there's an opportunity for organizations, just like we were inspired by Impact Austin, to create things that support the art that is specific to their culture and their community. And as we expand Black Fret across the nation and across the world, I cannot wait for every single Black Fret chapter to reflect the culture of that city, of that community, as faithfully as it can. I want Black Fret New Orleans to feel completely different from Black Fret Seattle, completely different from Black Fret LA, from Black Fret Atlanta. All of these cities are going to um, feel like them. And so when I look through the different artists that are nominated and going to be performing, many of them going to be performing at this year's ball, which is December 4th again. What struck me is that, was that an intentional way of developing the advocacy or did that, was that just an outgrowth of the different types of musicians and styles that are available in Austin? The breadth and depth of music in Austin is breathtaking. When I was growing up here in 78, getting dragged out to the Armadillo World Headquarters, watching Dan Del Santo and the Professors of Pleasure playing a part, doing all those little things. Austin, and I don't think that this is, this is an accurate statement, but the perception is a scene is associated with a sound. Seattle had grunge. Austin had blues. And there are reasons for those perceptions there. But the world is becoming more and more diverse. The world is becoming more and more exciting, as far as I'm concerned. And in Austin, Primo the Alien, like really amazing, like electronic dance pop. Absolutely unreal. Dark Bird. It's something like you think, I've heard that before, but I haven't heard that before. Right. That's the vibe you get. Right. Yeah. Dark Bird. Total 80s throwback, amazing Benatar style, anthemic. DZ Brown, amazing hip hop and rap with a real R&B tinge to it. American Dreamer, just a beautifully esoteric Americana and bluegrass mashed together in this amazing, amazing way. All of those are Austin bands. All of those bands can lay equal claim to this community as their own. And on top of that, you layer in the electronic, the hip hop, the rap, the cumbia, the Latin, the Tejano. It's amazing to see the depth of the breadth of music in this town. It'd be almost impossible to think that somebody could go to the ball on December 4th and not listen to something that they were into, not find something. And hopefully be introduced to something that they thought they would never listen to and become a fan. One of my favorite things to do. And is that one of the big benefits of membership? It it absolutely is. And one of my favorite things to do is make sure that we are curating great music for our members. Yes, they get to select it. Yes, they get to nominate the class of artists. But when we can provide a curated experience where they know, even if it's maybe not their cup of tea, it's not the genre that they're completely into, they're going to see great music. That to me is a huge value that Black Fret brings to artists. When people come to town to visit their friends in Austin or Seattle or anywhere, and and they ask, hey, we're in the live music capital in the world. Who are the best bands? What are the great venues? Instead of saying, I'm not really sure I don't go see music, they can say, oh, I'm a Black Fret member and I can name 150 bands that I've seen over the last you know seven years. And they're playing at these venues and let's go. They become an active part of the culture. And with 
almost a musical tour guide. Almost, yeah. And and this curated experience is is you know we live in a busy world. There's nothing more disappointing to me, even when I was a single dad and going out to see music. I'd go out and that band was that was supposed to go on at ten, got bumped to midnight, and my sitter was leaving at eleven thirty, and I was wound up missing him. And we don't do that. We curate a great experience and sometimes a challenging experience. Where, for example, one of my favorite concerts ever. We booked a band, uh, Leyline, a semi-acapella, four-piece, all-female world music group with basically a, a punk trio with very rock-heavy edge called Think No Think. It was those two bands on one bill and with two very passionate fan bases there. And, and, and different audiences, sure, yeah, surely. Both of them were saying to me, why did you book these two bands together? You know what? I'm like, just relax. Enjoy the night. Let's see what you think. And by the end of the night, almost universally, people like, Wow, Think No Think was amazing. Wow, Leyline was incredible. We made new fans for both bands out of the set of the other bands of people who did not think that they were going to appreciate the music, let alone actually become a fan themselves. And I think we all need to be challenged in life like that. We all need to. So that's really, when you're talking about intentional curation, that's really what you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get two groups of fans that would never listen to the other person's music and you know what and the, the find other, the appreciation sure and the the other side of that is hey let's throw an r&b night just for our r&b fans let's like just go all r&b tonight and make it a vibe and that's the vibe of the night and everyone can go and deep dive into that and get a big dose of it that is equally as valid an experience as the dissonance of ley line and, and think no think and we do enough events during the year when you become a member even in 2021, we threw 42 in-person events coming out of COVID. We had our Long Center Keep Live Music Alive Festival. We have small, intimate events, less than 80 or 100 people or so. We have larger events at venues and so on. And as we emerge from COVID in 2022, I really want to bring our house parties back, which is something I've sorely missed this year, but it's just been too crazy. Yeah. You yeah. just do what you can with the environment that you're, that you're given, right? Hard you dealt. So what's next for Black Fret? What does the roadmap look like for you, both here in Austin and around the country? It is an exciting roadmap. I fully intend for this to be an organization that is giving out tens of millions of dollars a year in grants all over North America by the end of the decade, rather than one that's just in a a couple of chapters or, or Austin alone. The money itself there is a great thing, but what I'm really excited about are the connections that we're going to be able to make the power that's going to come out of a network of connected communities where an Austin band can go play Blackfoot, Fort Worth, Blackfoot, Bentonville, Memphis, Nashville, Atlanta, Miami, Mobile, New Orleans, and come back to Austin and do a successful Southeast tour where they're going to be hired by some of the Blackfoot chapters in those markets and be paid by those Black Fret chapters because we never, ever allowed a band to play for free. It's not just grants. We give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year out in money that we pay bands. And then hopefully they're going to get on stacked bills with other local bands uh, sure. from that to where they have a much higher chance of playing to, you know, 200, 300, 500 people in a room rather than to a bunch of empty tables and chairs because they didn't understand the market. They booked the show themselves or whatever. And they didn't have the air support and marketing coverage that they would need to support that. So just those two natural outcomes are powerful. But when you think about the national network of music industry professionals, we can bring together. When you think of 
the co-writing that's going to exist between these bands. When you think of our partnership with Austin Music Foundation and with HAM, which provides uh, health um, insurance for Austin musicians, and SIMS, which provides mental health and addiction recovery services, we begin to really build a foundation under these artists and in this community that lets them know that they are a valued part of our world and that we want them here and that we need them here. And that is... And so with all the people that are moving into the Austin area, more specifically, if we get back locally for a second, let's say I'm just moving here from the Bay Area or in any number of locations where people are you know, leaving town and coming here, which is more and more with work from home and all that stuff available. Music's a big thing for me. Black fret sounds really cool. What, how would I get involved and what could I expect in that first, I don't know, six months? Getting involved is as simple as going to blackfret.org slash join and uh, becoming a member. We have three membership levels, a single, which admits you to an event, uh, a duo, uh, level, which is you and a plus one, and then our party level, which is you and a plus three. So if you want to bring a few guests along with you to every event, join at our party level. Which would be excellent for a business owner or something like that who might want to, you know. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know, bring a prospective client along or friends or whatever. Exactly. And that's really how we've grown. We've grown through community. We've grown through our members saying, hey, I want to bring these people along. They're, they love music. And then they join and then they bring their friends. And it's been a really organic, wonderful experience that person can expect to be able to buy uh, member tickets to the Black Fret Ball. They can expect us to kick things off at Free Week at the beginning of the year next year, where we're going to get you out in the wild, seeing a bunch of great Black Fret curated events. They can expect to be invited to events at Pershing, which is a, qui- a private club here in town, at, to come to backyard concerts, to come to concerts of venues where we take things over. That curated South by experience that we were talking about earlier will happen in 2022. And to meet a group of people who are as passionate about music as they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and, and they won't be what a great person. way to come into a new community. You're going to know Austin music better than a lot of native Austinites when you join Black Fret. And like I said earlier, when your friends come to town, you're going to be, you're going to be well-versed in our culture and uh, you're going to show them a great time. And, and what about for the artists that might be listening or for the people that support uh, an artist or have an artist in the family, how would they get on Black Fret's radar? What's the best What's the best way for an emerging artist to get you know, noticed by all the people that can provide advocacy? We, we invite artists to drop us an email at sustain at blackfret.org. Tell us about their music. That said, there is not a nomination, or I'm sorry, there's not an application process. A band cannot nominate themselves or apply themselves. As we discussed earlier, they have to be nominated by you know, one of the groups of our constituencies, artists, members, advisors, best new band or KUTX band of the month. The best way to get on our radar is by kicking ass, by making great music, by getting out there and playing and getting your name known. And that doesn't happen, have to happen at a huge level. You don't have to become as well-known as Black Pumas or Shaky or Spoon or whoever, but just get, get your head above the water enough to where one of our members is going to notice you and send us an email, say, check out this band and we'll check them out and we'll book them for a gig, expose them to more Black Fret members. And if they're kicking butt and making great music, they're going to get nominated. Sometimes it takes a little while, but you know we've seen bands that we put up two or three times who've just gotten better and better over the years, and we give them our support. And even when they're not nominated, they make some new fans and we pay them to play a gig. 
Terrific. Well, Matt, thank you so much. And again, the Black Fret Ball is coming up on December 4th. Are there still tickets available, still chances to get memberships and get member tickets? Or how's that? You know, there are. You can join on December 4th at 559 if you want and come on down. Um, We are growing quickly after COVID. We're recovering quickly. But frankly, we want everyone in the Austin area who loves their music to join, to become a Black Fret member, to bring music into your life, to get back out there and uh, enjoy the music and to please join us at the Black Fret Ball. Matt, thank you very much. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Matt Ott, and I hope you learned some things about Black Fret, which is a really terrific organization helping local artists here in the Austin area and around the country. And who knows, maybe we'll see you on December 4th at the Moody Theater for the Black Fret Ball. Once again, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on social media. We also have a revamped website that makes it a little easier to access all of our content. So please check us out in any of those forums. And if you have the ability to rate us, we would uh, greatly appreciate a five-star rating. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Because we can only do our best work when you are here to listen.